This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it is 6am Wednesday, the 21st of September. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run. Joining me in the studio is the one and only Philip C. And Chong Jensen making his uh, second day debut. John, um, a um, pseudo virgin now. Yeah, so bad lah. We all were here before, Philip. Yes, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. <laughs> As I'm not usual, saying it's a bad thing. says the man whose photo is featured in the star. But <laughs> moving on very quickly. <laughs> Uh, as usual, we do have a rather packed day. Uh, starting at 7.15, we're going to be talking about something that was announced, I think probably Sunday evening, but reported on Monday morning, and that is that GLCs, which are government-linked companies, and GLICs, which are government-linked investment companies, I hope you all are still following, heads as well as judiciary will now be required to declare their assets mm. to the Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission. Uh, so we're going to get reactions to this announcement from Cynthia Gabriel, Executive Director of C4, which is the Centre to Combat Corruption and Cronyism. I wonder if it's a public or private disclosure. Exactly. We don't really know the details and we don't even know what kind of declaration they will have to make. How often is this declaration? Uh, who then decides whether there's anything odd about this declaration? Well, talking about declarations, at 7.30, US President Joe Biden has already declared that the COVID-19 pandemic is over in America. But what about the rest of the world? We discuss whether we are truly post-pandemic with Dr. Dale Fisher of the National University of Singapore. And at 7.45, we'll talk about the national energy policy under the newly launched national energy policy. The government targets to increase the use of electric vehicles to 38%. How will this be achieved? We hear from energy policy specialist Sharul Halmi Hassan for his views. There appears to be um, a lot more coverage on energy policy in the run-up yeah. to the budget. Mm-hmm. The PM has launched their National Low Carbon Aspiration 2040 and Finance Minister Tunku Zafrol. Uh, I read that out of the three, out of the six working papers, Three are energy or EV mm, related. Interesting. But Jensen, the more important thing is, are you one of the 38%? Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not. I'm a fossil fuel burner. What's uh, what? <laughs> what do you call you're those cars? You're a fossil fuel burner? You're an FFB? <laughs> no, yes, I am. And there's a name for those cars, ICE, right? So you're yeah, ICE, yeah. ICE. General combustion engines. Yeah. So you're ICE, uh, dedicated hardcore ICE Definitely, uh, users. Yeah. I'm Definitely. not a believer in uh, electric oh, vehicles for now. <laughs> you're not a believer. We need to change the mindset. Maybe, maybe. Sharo might convince him otherwise. Mm. When I think we it's talk a to him at 7.45. It's a boomer mindset, I think. <laughs> and I'm you are what? I'm a millennial. <laughs> Barely, Philip. Barely. <laughs> if that just makes you feel better, barely. All that and more on the morning run. So stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, 607, Wednesday, the 21st of September. And that song was Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath by the Cardigans. I have to say, the title of the song doesn't really match the chillax mood of the tune, does it? Yeah, and it's so inappropriate. We're not even Sabbath day. I don't know. Who comes up with these names? And why do they call themselves cardigans? Which I'm wearing one at the moment now. But never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Useless fun fact. Um, We are looking at all the interesting articles that have caught our eye. And Jensen picked this one, didn't you, Jensen? Or did I pick it? Or who picked it? I picked it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot forgot about you, Philip. I do apologise. Am I so small? Uh, No. Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Uh, not at all. Okay. Heart also equally as big. But anyway, <laughs> there was a bit of sarcasm there thrown in for good measure. This article is from the Forbes, of course, very Atas magazine. And it's entitled, Why Starbucks Succeeded in China? A Lesson for All Retailers. 
I Take us away, Philip. I really like this story because there are many angles to this. Firstly, we are seeing even a change of leadership over at Starbucks. Howell Schutz is finally going to retire middle of next year with a new successor. And I was listening to the interview. They're opening at least a Starbucks every day still in China. Did That's they stop doing COVID? Oh, no, they didn't. They just ploughed on ahead. They just ploughed on ahead. And I think it's a really testament to that brand. And we hear so many discussions about why so many times MNCs fail to penetrate the Chinese market. Mm. Especially for something like Starbucks, which is coffee, which is Americanized in its view. And in China, where you know the tea culture is very much pervasive, how were they able to successfully enter the market for something that's perceived perhaps not very so aligned... Western. A bit Western, not so aligned with Chinese values. I think for me struck struck me when I read this article. Okay, but they're not the only ones. If you think about successful brands that have mm. penetrated China, I think KFC is the other big one, right? That's Yum's right. Food did very well in China. They entered the market very, very early, even before McDonald's. And you know how successful they are? You can get KFC uh, at the Great Wall of China. I remember because I ate there. <laughs> <laughs> so there were three reasons, right, that make Starbucks very popular in China. I mean, the first one that stuck me was family. Family, because they even brought their parents on board, which I think my mom would totally approve of, you know, if they engage my mom about my career. But there are other elements, right, Jensen, that were also contributing to the success of Starbucks in China. Yes, I guess what struck me was community. Mm. And unlike the culture in US of in Malaysia, for that matter, when you walk into a Starbucks in Malaysia, um, all you see is uh, people or youngsters on their laptops mm. using the free Wi-Fi, sitting on their coffees for countless hours. But in China... It's totally different. They welcome uh, the camaraderie, the noise, and the lounging. And I can just imagine what a Starbucks in China is like. It must be like it a must be really, Yeah, yeah, like a pasamala, exactly. And um, and also, I uh, what I thought was quite interesting is that the spaces in Starbucks in China mm. they're forty percent bigger than what it is in US, and they are located in high end malls and. Uh, great A office buildings. Oh, so there's a bit of prestige attached, yes, obviously, yes. right? Which so, I think... Yeah, so I find it very interesting because, you know, we all, the, they always position themselves as the third place after the home and the office. Starbucks wanted to be positioned as the third place for people to hang out, mm. right? That was the positioning. So interesting how you talk about that they're positioning it to be more premium in these really nice locations. Perhaps our emerging market destination want to view the premium locations as the third place to hang out. Yeah, so it's a place beyond just grabbing your coffee, right? So maybe the Americans view Starbucks very functional. You go in, you get your coffee, you go back to your office, you work in the office, or you do something in a quiet environment and then you leave. But for China, it's about creating that chillax space, right? So even the design of Starbucks in China is different mm. from that from the US. And I think this is where Starbucks succeeds. They go to a local market, they understand the local market, what's the difference, and they don't have a cookie-cutter way of implementing mm. uh, what succeeds in different markets. And I think businesses really have to realise that because every market has a different culture, a different yeah. expectation, yes. right? And you need to know what differentiates this market from another market. And just building on this point you said, Shaoning, the third reason why it's so successful is status. I think people like the status of having a Starbucks Well, when latte. the drink is 20 bucks, there is status. There is status to it, right? I mean, that's, I think, the big differentiator. As you say, right, in the US, it's mass market. Everybody just goes in and do something. But to go and position and be clear that you're premium is very interesting, no? Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, but being the business person that I am, I noticed that Starbucks actually beat estimates when they released the results in August, but um, sales from the China market 
was actually down 40% mm. sequentially. Mm. And they also talked about uh, increased competition in China. There were like 14 deals where um, people are raising money to actually uh, compete with Starbucks. And even uh, companies like Ely Cafe and Tim Hortons, they're also raising money for mm. their local ventures. Yeah, so yeah. I guess Starbucks in China, you have to be on your toes. I think you're right. You have to always evolve, right? Yep. Especially as you point out that 40% decline, that could be a result of pandemic yes, as well. Yes, definitely. It was mm. due to the lockdowns. Well, uh, let us know what you think. Do you, do, you th- do you hang out in your local Starbucks? And maybe do you think every business should actually understand their local markets much, much better before they even open one store? Uh, you can WhatsApp in 018-789-8899 and you can also tweet in at BFM Radio. We'll be back after these messages. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You're listening to The Morning Run. It is 6.20, Wednesday, the 21st of September. And that song was I Never by Rilo Kylie. In front of me is Philip C. And on my left is Chong Jensen, who also chose this article, didn't you, Jensen, from the BBC, entitled, What's the Right Age to Get a Smartphone? And maybe for some people, never, never, never. (laughs) Because they just don't like smartphones. But of course, I think to be fair, all of us in this room have one. It's become the way of life. But the next step to ask is at what age do you give kids a smartphone? Because let's face it, they all want one, don't they? Yeah, definitely. But I guess for me, I have two kids, but I think they're far too young for smartphones. Um, But of course, with peer pressure, I think that they will eventually ask me. In fact, my eldest son has asked me. But I do think probably a right age would be, it, it depends on the individual um, where they are in terms of their maturity, how disciplined they are, how focused they are in, in terms of, of their work, how responsible they are. And of then course, that means we shouldn't get a phone, by the way. Maybe adults shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, I shouldn't get a smartphone then because I'm not sure I tick all those boxes <laughs> all the time. Right? Yeah, but I guess on the positive side, um, a phone can be a lifeline. It's a safety device. You can align pick-up times with your kid. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, on the negative side, of course, there's of course addiction and mm. exposure to unwanted uh, things like pornography and buying online games which you don't know about. And I, I guess there has to be some compromise at the right age where you have to sit down with them and tell them that hey, you know, um, if you like this game, maybe we'll go through the game with you and we can consider getting it. Mm. But there has to be some uh, discipline instilled, I guess, um, um, eventually when you get your, 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 your... When you give your kid your yes, phone. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, fun fact, I was actually trolling Jensen, you know, a couple of weeks back, and I realised... You troll everyone. I troll everybody, that's yeah, true. Yeah. So I actually went to his Facebook page, and I realised actually his kids tried to distort his face and pictures, <laughs> right? So that's one of the perils also of basically get letting your kids play with your phone when they don't have their own phone, isn't it? They just distort and make fun of you on your own app. Well, I had my nephew um, who is like eight years old. I remember the legendary words he said to me. Ayu, what's wrong with you? Why don't you have any games on your phone? <laughs> He's like... And then he went... Um, you know, you can download them, right? And gave me this look like I was the stupidest person on the earth. The smartphone basically reflects your lack, less, lack, lack, your lack of smartness. Yeah, it? he was like, what's wrong with this woman? She's my <laughs> aunt, you know? I mean, why does she have any games? He was like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, looking for something, right? And I was like, hey, why? He just gave me this look and then those magic words magic came out words of his mouth. Out, you know, yeah. like, why on earth do you have yeah. a phone in the first place when you don't utilize it to the max? But I think this question about what age 
probably, I don't know, do you think it, it's been a sell? Actually, I don't. I pretty much know it's been accelerated by COVID-19, mm. right? Because we uh, kids, they used to socialise in the school playgrounds, in the classrooms. They had play dates. They got to meet their friends. And then COVID-19 happened and everything came to a grinding halt. But yet, children are children, right? They need company. And I even saw my nephew, you know, he had Zoom sessions with friends on computers. They played games together, like, online. So their requirement or their need for a gadget is probably going to be accelerated because of this. The exposure came faster and faster. Yeah, I think definitely. Um, COVID has definitely accelerated uh, kids' uh, adoption of uh, gadgets. And I remember for me, um, I've told you, Philip, I'm not that old, but I only really used a computer prior to going to university. And I think my kids can probably operate a laptop or even a, a, my handphone better than me. Yes. And just yesterday, I was asking my son, hey, um, do you know how to highlight text on a Google Chrome page? Like, um, <laughs> to, And he, he actually went through a YouTube video and he showed me how to do it. <laughs> well, the thing is, you could have done that as well, right? You could have gone to a YouTube yes, page. Yes, I did, but I guess I was being lazy. Yeah. I see. <laughs> Might as well it. abuse your children one way or another, I know, right? I think so. I think so. Well, this is the issue, right? As you see, ownership has risen. 91% of 11 years old in the UK already have a smartphone. But as you pointed out in this article, Jensen, really there is a lot of conflicting data about whether it's useful or not giving the smartphone earlier. There was this study done with 17,000 participants that said that actually that when they looked at these children right, who have higher use of social media between 11 to 13 for girls and 14 to 15 for boys, they predicted lower life satisfaction. Okay, but I think for every data, every survey that says it's good for kids, there'll be another one that says it's not good for kids. Ultimately, I think parents will just have to make this value uh, decision based on how on their own children. They know their children best. But let us know what you think. Is there a right age for someone to get a smartphone? You can tweet in at BFM Radio or WhatsApp in 018-789-8899. Up next is the 6.30 News Bulletin. And to take us out is Ban on the Run by Paul McCartney. Keep it here, BFM. 89.9. BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned. It's 6.41 Wednesday, the 21st of September. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run with Chong Jensen and Philip C. And that song was by the one and only Bruce Springsteen, otherwise known as The Boss. And it's Dancing in the Dark, which is sometimes what I feel we I are feel, doing in this country. I like to do that as well because my dance moves are so terrible. It's better to dance in the dark for <laughs> You don't want to so humiliate yourself. Me, yes. Okay. Well, some people actually seem to go through life dancing in the dark they don't know what's happening at all <laughs> but as usual at this time of the morning we go through all the international stories that have caught our eye uh, let's start with the newbie in the room Jensen okay I'm looking at an article it's carried by the age and um, since yesterday uh, Shawnee you talked about the relatively dry IPO pipeline mm. so I'm looking at this and it says that the Chinese electric vehicle maker Sechang Li Moto uh, it will be the largest IPO in Hong Kong and they plan to raise about US 1 billion uh, just to give you maybe some sense they're actually a uh, uh, they produce four electric vehicle models and mm. it's targeting the middle and lower end mass market. So they're priced relatively 
I would say, uh, on a more affordable scale, about 11,000 US dollars to 43,000 US dollars. I can't help but contrast the other IPO we were talking about a couple of weeks back, Porsche. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Where for them, they're going premium. It's a conventional vehicle, but as yours is pretty electric, although the IPO proceeds were meant to fund their EV well, emissions. Well, to be fair, Porsche itself, they have electric vehicles which are doing pretty well. I think it's is it called the Taycan? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's doing pretty well. But you're right. VW needs the money to fund electric vehicles on the the, the cars for the common people not common the Porsche people. Okay? common people like me unlike you Jensen um, I think you're a CEO aren't you <laughs> <laughs> I'm very common still anyway with regards but I think that's the whole point right tapping equity markets at this time uh, to basically fund these growth ambitions because as you say right there was earlier on a whole point about getting to 38% EV penetration in Malaysia yeah uh, we'll, we will be talking to Sharon Halmi president of my EVOC about this actually as to whether we have in place a credible EV plan because of our targets um, now in the meantime uh, you know related to somewhat to this story is the fact that there is an urgency especially at uh, when global leaders meet in New York this week actually because I think a lot of people have forgotten it's the UN uh, big meeting UN General Assembly yeah so I think the um, you know the Secretary General has already urged countries to consider windfall tax on fossil fuel companies because polluters must pay, pay and they don't want the world to also keep their eye off of this um, the carbon emissions just because there's an energy crisis in Europe. So windfall taxes seem to be the answer for many things now, right? To basically tap on the balance sheets of corporates that seem because to be Because everybody got, has got bumper profits. I think BP, Shell, Exxon, Exxon. There's no oil company that's not doing well. But that's a distinction, right? In Europe, there is this point about windfall tax on energy companies to subsidize the rising energy cost in Europe. In this case here in the UN General Assembly, it's windfall taxes for oil and gas companies to support the climate transition. So using windfall tax, that, that blunt instrument, mm. but for very different purposes, isn't it? Yeah, but I think, you know, when you when you wonder what you should do, right, are there that many options available? Right. Yeah. So that's that you have that dilemma, right? And bringing it back closer to home in Malaysia, we have October 6th, 7th, our budget. Mm. Whether that uh, some form of windfall tax might be implemented, although we did have some form of that already in the form of Chukai Makmono. Yes, we did. And that was a different kind of tax. Yeah. But, you know, when you come to, let's say, a windfall tax for oil and gas companies, in Malaysia, there's only Petronas. And yeah. already Petronas give so much to the national coffers, right? Yes, you can't and tax them again. You can't tax them again. Because, and it's not, you know what the government just does? They just say, can we have more dividend, right? And then Petronas. Which they already did. So we don't have that kind of mechanism. I don't think it really fits so much in Malaysia. Uh, but what else has caught your eye, Philip? Well, I think as a result of higher energy prices, you see even Japan's consumer inflation hit a near eight-year high, up 2.8% in August. 2.8% Oh, I think everything is relative, isn't it? I mean, when you're in Europe, you're like... To a percent, what is that? Turkey is 80%, ha <laughs> 2%, let's move on. 2.8%, the yeah. world crumbles. Yes, uh, but that's all the international headlines for you. We'll be back after these messages. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. 6.49, Wednesday the 21st of September and you're listening to The Morning Run and that song was What a Fool Believes by the Doobie Brothers. I'm joined by Philip C and Chong Jensen and I'm Wong Shaoning and obviously they have no... Yeah, they're not interested in music because they weren't bobbing to the song, unlike me. Well, because I'm not a fool in the first place. Giving your groove in it, Shawnee. Yeah, I was. I love, love, well, love, 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 love this song. Well, first I'm not a fool. That's why I wasn't bobbing my hair. Excuse me.
excuse me, excuse me. Anyway, talking about fools, is there anything interesting in the local papers? Yes, I mean, talking about fools, BM proposes first woman-only public varsity. Now, Barisan National is proposing to set up a first woman-only public university in its general election pledge. Why? It's dedicated research centre for issues concerning women and it will also actively promote women in leadership. Can they do that at a regular university? Why Don't do they we have enough to? universities already Yes, as well? and why can't we just have, I mean, I'm all for women's studies. I'm all for encouraging women to join tertiary education, 110%. And should we should remove all barriers when it comes to that. But why do we need a specifically u- women university? Yeah. I mean, in some Western countries, they're already doing away with these all-women colleges. I, I fully agree. I, I don't know why. It feels back ages, in my view, going back a couple of steps. Yeah. I mean, during my time, I thought the only time you really segregated uh, male and female was in primary school. Or even so, in secondary school, right? And yeah, to be this fair, is a I, bit, uh, regressive I, in my view. When you were saying this, I was thinking the only thing we segregate now is at the toilets, to be honest. <laughs> yes. Although, to be fair, in the US, it's also. No, it's gone. In UK, it's gone. And I was confused. Yes. I was like, where do I go? I was looking for the sign and I didn't know. So, you're not even segregating toilets. Why are we segregating in our higher education institutions? I have no clue. I, I really don't know. Maybe the Minister of Higher Education would like to respond to this as usual. He is, of course, welcome on our show anytime. Uh, but, Jensen, what has caught your eye? Okay, I'm looking at uh, some financial news locally. Of course, and, uh, only you would do that. <laughs> yeah. Please proceed. And I'm looking at um, Malaysia's most unloved FBM 30 stock top glove. So they released their fortune numbers yesterday and they made a loss of 53 million compared to a profit of nearly 450 million the same period uh, a year ago. But I guess what I found was interesting in the forward-looking statement was that they've said that ASPs have somewhat stabilised and they've said that uh, they have raised ASPs by 5% in October, which I think could have explained the recovering its share price after it was sold on after lunch. But the utilisation rate is still very low. So you can raise your ASP but your utilisation rate is very low and you're talking about industry which is so driven by efficiencies, right? This will really hurt their bottom line. Yeah, Yeah. They've said utilisation is 50% and they've uh, cut back on KPEX as well. I wonder how they're going to respond with President Biden's announcement that the pandemic is over. Oh, on that day, share prices of all gloves came under pressure like 3-4% at 9 o'clock. Even the pharma companies as well, right? Yeah, Uh, but we'll be talking about this a little bit more in detail at 9.15 when we go through the results, I think. Uh, Top Glove is a stock that you can't ignore, Malaysia's largest glove company. I'm going to know what they're going to do with all the share buyback that they did at higher levels. Yeah, and I saw the the posting by uh, Lim Wee Chai, right, where he said he welcomed China competition. I think that's one of the biggest concerns also with Top Glove at the moment. China is emerging as a very fast competitor going forward. Uh, They used to have single-digit market share. They now have about 12-13%. Everyone says in a few years, the question is whether Malaysia can maintain its uh, pole position. Now, I'm looking at Malaysia Kini article and it's the, the headline is really cute. It says, Najib Senior at Kajang Prison Soups on Privileges for Pigeon. Now, I think some of you all would have been receiving these uh, social media posts on a, on what uh, Najib's moniker is supposed to be in prison. is Merpati, which is the Malay word for pigeon. Oh, I see. And of course, uh, I think, so Amana Vice President Mafus Omar, uh, who describes himself as Najib Senior, is demanding answers from the government over these anonymous messages, which claim that the former Premier has been accorded 
certain privileges. So he has asked on the authorities to treat all prisoners in the same manner because he said, I was in prison in Kajan before and he did not get any special treatment. And he says the public must know the truth if the government is spending taxpayers' money on the former Premier who is now serving a 12-year prison sentence by the government. And Malaysia Kini did reach out to the Home Ministry, um, Prisons Department and Najib's reps for comment. But I think none were for... Are they obligated to kind of respond though? That's the question. I guess it's public pressure now, right, about making sure that it's fairly done. You know, when I heard this, I thought I was like, oh, is this a pigeon needed to basically be a messenger pigeon to transfer messages across the board? Because I was wondering, how does he have access to his social media account still? I have no clue. It's maybe someone else is operating it. Uh, but that's all the local news we have for you. Up next is of course the 7am news bulletin and to take us out is Fool's Goal by the Stone Roses. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.